I'd like to go ahead and invite our children to be dismissed to Transformation Station. So if you are uh, one of our subway or bus kids or even our commuter kids are also meeting today. So if you're an uh, elementary school age kid, uh, we want to invite you back to commuter kids, this meeting there in the back uh, this morning. Well, I want to echo John's thoughts on uh, our soccer night's effort. It was a, a wonderful week. It was so awesome to see the community come together and, uh, and the people of this church uh, come together to put on a, a, such an event for uh, the community. So thank you to everyone who uh, participated, who helped make that happen. Uh, I can tell you that the, the city of Medford, the people of Medford really felt loved and, and appreciated uh, not only what we did, but others who came alongside of us in the community to help us make soccer nights happen. So uh, thank you for, for, for uh, participating and volunteering and making that such a great event. Well, if you have your Bibles, please open up to the book of Titus. We'll continue our series, Good Doctrine, Good Deeds, this morning. And we'll be in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provided for you, that'll be on page 998 of those Bibles that we provided for you. Some of life's most important gifts come in the smallest of packages. You know, one of the things that I love about our church is, you know, we want to be a church that's diverse and we want to have generational diversity, but we, we certainly have a lot of young families and you've probably even noticed some babies that are here this morning. If, if you're a parent or if you're a family member uh, of, of, that, and your family has had a, maybe a newborn baby in the past year or two, you know what a, what a beautiful gift that a baby is to a family, Right? Some of, some of life's most important and greatest gifts come in the smallest of packages. We also have uh, another group here this morning, perhaps. Some of you are, are newly married or soon to be married, and you also know that some of most, life's most important and greatest gifts come in the smallest of packages, right? I mean, just look at your left hand, maybe a little bling right there. So you know what I'm talking about here, that some of life's most important gifts come in the smallest of packages. And just as that is true in life, listen, some of life's most important lessons and most important truths come in the smallest of packages. I think it's what we're gonna see in Titus 2, 11 through 15 this morning. Paul is gonna teach us what may be the most important truth for any of us to understand in life. And that is simply this, that all of life is all of grace. All of life is all of grace. This is what he will explain to us in Titus 2, verses 11 through 15. I want to invite you to read along with me as I read them for us. This is what Paul says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people 
for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This morning, I wanna give us three encouragement that, that come from this passage on grace. And I hope that we'll really take these and, and receive these this morning. The, the first encouragement for us is, is this, to receive the grace that brings salvation for all people. Receive the grace that brings salvation for all people. What we have in verse 11 is one of the tightest and most theologically profound verses in all of the Bible. This is why over the past month, we as a church, we have either memorized or attempted to memorize this whole passage here. All right, so if you've never memorized any scripture, verse 11 would be an awesome place to start. And I would post to you that you can even memorize it this morning before you leave our service. It just simply says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What are we talking about when we talk about grace? Well, grace is God's unmerited favor to us. Grace is receiving that which we do not deserve. As we heard earlier from the gospel of John, Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, wrapped himself in human flesh, dwelt among us. And John says that he was full of what? Grace and truth. And for those who receive Christ, it says that we have received what? Grace upon grace. So we are all in desperate need of God's grace. When we could do absolutely nothing to save ourselves, God, in his rich love and amazing grace, reached down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He sent his son to distribute his grace. And so we need this grace. We are people who are completely undeserving of the grace of God. And I hope you'll consider that this morning. And maybe you're here and you're exploring Christianity and you're just trying to figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. And maybe some of you have been in Christ for many, many years. We need to be reminded again and again that we are undeserving of God's grace. And how do we get there? How, how, how can we really see that? Well, when we have a true understanding of the holiness of God, that God is perfect, that there is no mixture of impurity. He has never made a mistake. He is perfectly perfect and deserving of all of our worship. When we understand that that is who God is and that we are not holy, that we are not perfect, that the nature of our depravity and the extent of our sinfulness runs very, very deep. When we understand those two realities, we will begin to understand the magnitude and the depths of the ocean that is the grace of God. See, we have to understand that we are not well. In and of ourselves, we are not well. I mean, has anyone read the news this week? Anyone catch the news maybe this weekend? 
you may have heard that in Somerville, there was a women's football game, professional football. You may not even know we had this here in greater Boston, but we have just about everything in Boston, whether you know it or not. And the, 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 the Boston team of, of lady football players is the Boston Militia. They were playing the DC, you ready for this? The DC, you can probably guess, Divas, okay? So, so the Boston Militia versus the DC Divas. Hey, our militia, man, they were representing, they were up late in the game, had the game sewed up, and it just so happens that there was like a pile up, and one of the DC Divas broke her leg. Not good. So that, you know, escalates the heat a little bit. Then to top it off, the game ends with an interception by the militia. And then all of a sudden, it just breaks loose. Benches clear. Somerville police have to call for backup, according to the Boston Herald. I mean, it was not a good scene at Dillboy Stadium just a few miles from here. When we look at the news and we see what's going on around us, man, we know that we are not well. But you see, it's one thing to talk about their sin. It's a whole different ballgame when we start to talk about our sin. You see, we all have sin in our life. Don't you know this? We have all sinned against God. We have all not lived life according to God's intentions. We have robbed him of his glory. We have not honored him in the way that we should, the way that he designed. We have not loved him. We have not loved one another. We lie, we cheat, we steal. We lust, we're filled with pride. And our sin earns us death. Separation from God. Physical death and spiritual death. And so this is what makes grace so amazing. And that even in spite of all of that, all of your history, just think about your life this week. You didn't live a perfect life. Man, you sinned against God. You sinned against others this week. What about this month? What about this year? What about your life? God in his rich and amazing grace and mercy gives us that which we do not deserve when he gives us Christ. He said, what's the big deal about salvation? Well, God's grace saves us from the penalty of our sin. We deserve to, 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 to die separated from God forever. We deserve to have the just wrath of God poured out on us, not poured out on Jesus, which is what the cross is all about. But God's grace saves us from the penalty of sin, the wrath of God, eternity separated from God in a place called hell, and not to mention it saves us for something, abundant life here on earth, eternal life with God forever. This is why the gospel is known as good news. And this is what the cross is all about. Listen, I know that you see crosses all over the place, right? You drive through the city, even in Boston still, you can look around and you can see crosses on sides of buildings, even if those buildings have been turned into condos, sadly enough. 
And you may see people walking up and down the streets of Medford and Somerville and Cambridge and Malden with tats all over their body. And many of those will be crosses, right? Maybe your favorite rapper has, you know, chains dangling with big gold and platinum crosses. Crosses are everywhere. But what is the cross really all about? The cross is about, in maybe one word, substitution. Don't, don't miss this, this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. I hope you know it. It says, for God made him who knew no sin. Speaking of Jesus, God made Jesus who knew no sin. He had never sinned his whole life. To what? Be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So would you consider the benefits of our salvation in Christ? Just, just a few. And these are just from John and Romans, okay? The Gospel of John and Romans. I mean, we could, we could just keep listing, but I just chose a couple books and some of the most important realities and themes of our salvation. Number one, God has given us new life in Christ. When someone sees their need for Jesus, God gives them a whole new life. I mean, we're talking about a whole new ballgame, whole new creation. When someone sees their sin, sees the holiness of God, sees their sin, sees what Jesus has done and says, you know what? I need him. He's my righteousness. I have no righteousness in and of myself. He gives us a new life. Number two, he causes us to be redeemed to be bought back. We were once slaves to sin, slaves to the world, under the dominion of Satan. I mean, this is all throughout scripture. And then God buys us back and makes us right with him. We have new life. We've been redeemed. We've been justified. Romans 3, 24. What does that mean? It means that now we are counted righteous in Christ. We are declared righteous because of the gift of life and the gift of righteousness that God gives us through Jesus, if we'll look to him and repent and believe in Jesus. Number four, we're adopted. We have a new family now. No longer are we alienated from God, but we're, we're not only just kind of in, in, in the same kind of sphere as God and kind of, you know, able to just, you know, see what he's about. It's so much more than that. He adopts us into his family. Now God is our father. He is our loving father who gives us every blessing that belongs to a child of his. Number five, we're forgiven. Completely forgiven. Listen, it's through Christ that we're forgiven. We don't have to go to another person. We certainly don't go through any other angelic being or a saint. It's through Christ that we are forgiven, that we have this Perfect forgiveness from God. And then finally, we are freed. This is what John 5 and John 8 says. We even sang about it earlier this morning, that we are freed from the, the penalty of death and the, the consequences of our death. But not only that, we're freed to live for God now, to live the life that God always intended for us to live. So we just ask the question now, if this is what grace is about, then how on earth do we receive this grace? Because most people don't understand grace. They don't understand how to have this relationship with God. And they would say something like, you know what? I need to be a 
good person, as good as I can possibly be. And maybe, just maybe, at the end of the day, when the scales are tipped, maybe God will, will say, you know what? It was good enough. But it's not by works. It's not by any number of, of, of good things that we could do or being religious enough, saying our prayers, even coming to church. Coming to church doesn't make anyone a Christian, including pastors. It's by his grace. There are so many religious people in Medford and greater Boston. But their thought is, and I've talked to them, this is, you know, this is just a reality. It is, if I do X, Y, and Z, then perhaps God will accept me because I, I tried. But, but what we just looked at with our sin, I mean, our sin separates us from God. Our good effort is not enough. So religion says, I perform so that God will accept me and I will be approved by God. But the gospel turns a religion on its head and the gospel tells us that we, through Christ, are accepted. Therefore, we live our life for him and obey him and live a life of good works. So we are saved by grace, not because we have performed, but because he has loved. This is what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I hope you know these verses. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one may boast. You know, I've spoken with many people over the past couple of months about the grace of God. And, and, a, and a couple of things that I hear, sometimes there is objections to God's grace. And we've probably all thought it before. I know I have. We say, man, it's, it's almost too good to be true. It's almost too radical to accept grace. So there are a couple of common objections to the grace of God, salvation by grace. One of those is this. It's not fair to receive grace at the, at the end of life when you've lived such a despicable life right? I mean, someone that's tried to live, you know, kind of a good life, and then that God would save someone maybe when they're, when, when they're 70, 80, 90 years old. Does that seem fair? If, if, if we object to that, then I would pose to you, it's because even if we understand that, that salvation really needs to be by grace because none of us measure up, at the end of the day, we really still want it to be by works, right? We still want it to, to be because we've done something about it. And so it's the prerogative of God. The sovereign grace of God is distributed to people, no matter if they are 10, 40, or 90. And, and, and the same argument could be brought to God saving the most despicable of people in, in human eyes. Murderers, adulterers, the, 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 the most you know, sick criminals in our society. How could, how could God save them? And yet this is the beauty of the gospel. God saves people. Just, just read the Bible, man. There, there are some people in there that none of us would say, man, God, you should save them. But he does it in part so that we would see the riches of his grace. 
that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. The salvation is for all people, no matter your age, your ethnicity, your background, your gender. God's grace is for all people. And I hope that these words, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I hope that all people will resonate in our hearts this morning because I know there are some people here. And this, I'm, I'm tempted to think this way. Man, God, you are not big enough to save that person. They are too far gone. They have done far too much in their life. They don't deserve your grace. Have you ever thought that? Is there a friend in your life, a coworker, a family member who you think, man, God's grace could never save them? Perhaps this is how you feel about yourself. I'm too far gone. I've done too much. I can never be accepted by God. Well, listen, you will never be accepted by God. God accepts us because of the work of Christ. So when God looks at Tanner, man, Tanner is not a good person in and of myself. When he looks at me, he sees Christ. He sees the righteousness of Christ because I've said, man, I don't have it in me and I need you. I need your grace and your love to cover over all of my sin, to pay for all of my sin, to forgive all of my sin. And this is what God does for us in Christ. Brennan Manning says this about the love and grace of God. He says, I could more easily contain Niagara Falls in a teacup than I can comprehend the wild and uncontainable love of God. So good. So God's grace can reach anyone at any point in their life. And then here's the second objection real quick. Man, if, if, if salvation is by grace, then you know what? We can just live however we wanna live, right? This is what Paul says in Romans 6. He's anticipating the objection. He says, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means, we die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So some people don't wanna receive grace because they think, well, if, if, if it's by grace, then you know what? God just forgives and it's, you know, and it's just like we have this get out of free, you know, get out of hell free card that we can just kind of live however we wanna live in life. And if that's a person's view of salvation, I would say that they never really understood it. And if they choose to live that way, like, man, you know what? I'll just kind of trample over the work of Christ on the cross and, and I'll live however I want to, contrary to God, I would say that they never received that grace. Because what we're gonna see at the end of the chapter, uh, at the end of this uh, passage, is that grace not only saves us, but it trains us to live a transformed life. Which brings us to our second encouragement this morning. Depend on the grace of God that transforms God's people. Depend on the grace of God that transforms God's people. Look back again in verses 12 and 13. He's referring to this grace, okay? The participle training is pointing back to grace. He says, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let me explain what's going on here. Paul and his letters, typically, if you're reading Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, what he does is he'll unpack a lot of doctrinal truth. Man, this is what's true about God. This is what's true about man. This is what's true about salvation. And then he'll move into some practical instruction. All right? So we see that, that doctrine, truth, propositional truths handed to us by God are the foundation for then how we go live our life. In Titus, he flips the order and he gives us a lot of practical instruction, what we looked at last week, what it looks like to live a godly life. And then he gives us the doctrinal foundation, but the pattern is still the same. What's the pattern? How we live our life is built on the truths and the realities of who God is and how he relates to us and this world. And so what Paul is going to do here when he's saying this grace trains us to live this kind of way, what he is saying is the only obedience, the only life that will please God is the life that flows from grace-motivated obedience, gospel-motivated obedience. So we have to understand, again, good works, they're not the root of our salvation. Maybe you've heard this before. Good works are not the root of our salvation. Good works are the fruit of our salvation. You got it? So, so, or, or to say it another way, good works are not the cause of our salvation. Good works are the result of our salvation. God changes our heart by his grace, and now we are freed up to live a completely different life, a completely transformed life. What we know this in theological terms is, is, is the word sanctification. All right, it's a, big, it's a big word that you need to understand because it's in the Bible, all right? And what the word sanctification refers to is a process, this progressive process by which God makes us more and more and more like Jesus Christ. He changes us from the inside out. Our character is being transformed and renewed and now it, it flows out of a, a, a heart that, that, that is being changed by his grace. It's a lifelong process. I would encourage you even now to look down the road of, our, of your life and not just think about what will you be doing six years from now, I mean, six months from now or a year from now or 10 years from now. I want you to think about not what you will be doing, but who you will be, who you will be. And, and if God's grace has reached you and saved you and now is sanctifying you, changing you to be more like Christ, you are not gonna be the same person that you are today because this is how God's grace works. And how does, this, how does this happen? How do we make this progress? Well, again, it is by grace. Grace trains us. God, grace teaches us to live a transformed life. So we must depend upon it. I have to tell you, in my own Christian walk, I had such a, a, an incomplete view of grace because I was taught, I was taught Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you know, like from, from this height right here. It's by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so no one can boast. I understood that, I got that. Man, I can't do anything to earn my salvation. I have to receive it through faith by God's grace. But you know what? I thought that, man, once I'm saved, I'll go and I'll try to be a good little Christian for God. 
I will read my Bible. I will say my prayers. I will go to church. I will try to please God by how I live my life. And you know what? That kind of self-effort and self-reliance will end up making me, you, all of us incredibly tired and frustrated if that is your notion of how we are to live the Christian life. You see, what Titus 2 teaches us is that not only is justification being counted righteous in Christ by God's grace, but sanctification also must happen by God's grace. I love what Augustine says, all right? You ready for this? St. Augustine says, command what you will, but give what you command. Live your life that way. God, you can ask anything you want from me. Love you, love others, love my wife, love my family. Treat people with kindness, be quick to forgive. Honor you, commit to your people. Be zealous for good works. You can ask me whatever it is that you want me to do in life, but God, if you're gonna ask me to do it, then give me the strength to fulfill what you've asked of me. And this is the beautiful part of how God relates to his people. He does it. He gives us the strength that we need to live the Christian life. And listen, this is all throughout scripture. I wanna show you just how many times we see this explicitly, and this is not a comprehensive list, by the way. So here we go. Psalm 18, verse one, just kind of starts to, to give us the feel. A great verse to memorize, by the way. I love you, O Lord, my strength. God is the strength of our life. He is how we live a life that is pleasing to him. John 15, five, you know this verse, I am the vine, Jesus speaking here, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. What about Galatians 2, 20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 1, 29, for this I toil, struggling how? With all of his energy that he powerfully works in me. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, you ready for this? Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, and I think we've established that happens by grace through faith. What does it say? Just as you received him, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. So let me just teach you a little spiritual exercise here, okay? I know some of you like to work out. You go to the gym, you get your push-ups on and you're, you know, you're running and, and you, you lift your weights and that type of thing, getting you know, in shape. That's a good thing. But let's, let's stay in some spiritual shape here too, all right? Here's an exercise for you. It's called spiritual breathing. Okay, you ready for this? So simple. Learn to exhale, and just say or think to yourself, I can't, you can, I can't, you can. Does that make, do you see that? Man, 
We are who we are. We do what we do because God's grace is at work in our life. And when we depend on him and rely on him and know that as we stay connected to Jesus and we abide in him, man, we can do anything that God asks us to do. Salvation is by grace. Sanctification, justification, it's all by grace. So how does this grace work, all right? Let's, let's move in to verse 12. This grace, first off, teaches us to say no. All right? The ESV says it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. The NIV says it teaches us to say no. So there are, there are some things that we must deny in life. We must put a stiff arm out to those temptations that would, 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 would lead us to, to deviate from the path that God wants us to live. And can I just ask you, what, what is it in your life today? that you need to renounce? Is it, is it pride? Is it some form of pleasure that is not the kind of pleasure that God wants you to have? Drunkenness, sexual immorality, you can fill in the blank. Maybe it's prestige and popularity and you wanna look really good in the sight of others that others might you know, love and esteem and respect you. And, you. and you value that more than you value what God thinks of you. What is it? What, is there something in your life that you need to renounce? God's grace enables us to do that. Listen, the temptation for us so often is to allow sin to die a slow death. And slow deaths are never pretty. We need to, to as John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So Paul says, look, there are certain things in life, ungodliness and worldly passions that we just need to flat out deny. But thankfully, that is not the end of biblical Christianity. Listen, some people view Christianity like that. It's a set of rules, regulations, restrictions. And if that's all it is, man, I'm not interested in signing up for that deal. But guess what? It's not all it is. Because Paul goes on to say, not only do we say no to certain things, but grace also teaches us to say yes to certain things. And this is where he says, it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So what is, what is Paul saying? He's saying, look, we put off pride. We say no to pride that we might put on it and say yes to humility. We put off lustful thoughts lustful looks, covetousness, and we put on self-control. We put off hate and anger, and we put on love and patience, and we could just keep going. We put off stealing, we put on generosity. It's so much more than just what we should not do. It is what we should do, what we ought to be about, because God is transforming us and so Paul says, this all happens in the present age. In this life that we live right now, the here and now. And so I like to say that the gospel is as relevant as our next breath. It is relevant for everything, every second of our day. Now check verse 13, it says that we, we live this way as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, what a, what a, what a, what a heavy statement there. 
We are waiting for Christ to return. And when he returns, it will be a glorious return. Overwhelming. The, the Second Thessalonians, maybe First Thessalonians, says that, that all who believe in him will marvel at his coming. And so it would be good for me to ask you this morning, are you ready? Are you ready? Man, Christ could return at any moment. He came the first time unexpected, and he will come a second time when none of us know the date or time. So are you ready to meet your maker? Are you ready to stand before God? Have you gotten your life right with God through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, his glorious resurrection? And if you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm good with God. I mean, I've been accepted by his grace. Well, are you living for him now on a daily basis? Is he changing your life? Is he transforming your life? To where, man, when, you, when he comes, you'll have no reason to be ashamed. You will have spent your life well for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. I hope you are. So many people often say, you know what, man, I, I get that. I get the, the, the Jesus thing, but you know what? I'm just gonna kind of deal with that later in life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get right with God after, you know, this stage of life is through, or after this project is done. And, and let me just lovingly say that is the talk of madness. If, if, if God is revealing who he is to, to you today, embrace him now. Receive him now. Don't wait to experience this awesome salvation that is found in Christ. So we need to receive the grace of God. We need to depend on the grace of God. And then finally, number three, we need to be motivated by the grace of God to engage in the work of God. Verses 14 and 15 are, are, are so packed. We don't have time to, to really drill down as much as I'd like. But what, is, what, what do they say? It says that Jesus, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. That's verse 14. So, so it, it helps us answer the question, why did Jesus die? And there are so many reasons that the Bible gives again and again and again, but here are just a few. Number one, it says that he, he died so that we might be purified, to redeem us from all lawlessness. And I think we've covered that, right? In verses 12 and 13, we see, we've seen how he, is, he has died that we might have life in him and live a different life that is transformed by his grace. He died to purify us. He died to possess us. It says a people for his own possession. I mean, what do you, what do you belong to? What are you possessed by? Do you, do you have a membership? Are you a member of Redemption Hill Church? Are you a member of the, the, the gem that, you know, is near your home? Are you a member of Costco? Maybe Red Sox Nation? They're all different types of, 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 of efforts and ventures that we belong to in this life. But, but is your life possessed by God? Do you know Christ? Have you found life in him? This is why Jesus died, to purify us, to possess us, and then thirdly, to make us a people who are passionate for good works says that we would be zealous for the good works that God has prepared for us. So again, this is why as a church, we do things like soccer nights. We put on the, the for the community, why? Because we're zealous for good works. Man, we wanna be a blessing to others. 
This is why we'll put on, on August 3rd, community fun night. It's why this Thursday night, we'll help out, send volunteers to circle the square in Medford. And we'll just give ourselves away. We'll serve others at the expense of our own time and our own money so that others might see the difference that Christ makes in us. And we do this individually as Christians, right? No matter where you are, if you're at work, if you're at play, if you're hanging with the, the fam or friends, man, we are zealous for good works to display the change that Jesus Christ makes in our life. And so here's one final good work, all right? Verse 15, Paul tells Titus, declare these things. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Titus, let no one disregard you. It is a good work to tell people the truth about Jesus Christ. I know that we live in a culture that does not want Christianity to be shoved down their throat. And thankfully, I think most people in the community, they would see that we are not shoving the message of Christ down people's throat. Actually, we had some comments about that this week at soccer nights. But I think people would also say, you know what? They do believe the gospel and they are ready to share that with all people. Are you ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people in your life? I hope so. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke, let no one disregard you. Be quick to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we close, let me just ask you, do you know the grace of God? Are you experiencing the grace of God on a daily basis? Have you received this salvation that's found in him for all people? Do you know that your life is right with God? If you were to meet him today and he would say, man, why should I let you into my presence? You would not say, hey, I've tried to be a good person and I did this and I did that and X, Y. And then you would say, Jesus is my righteousness. I've trusted in him. I've repented of the life that I once lived and now I love Christ and serve and follow him. I love what Tim Keller says. It says, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A to Z. So for some here today, man, you may not be confident of where you stand with God and you need the gospel to be the ABCs for you. People have put it like this, that the ABCs of, of, of the gospel is simply to admit your need for God, to see that you are separated from God by your sin. But that even though that is a reality that, that God has sent his son, that if you would repent and believe in him, you can have life. A life that is now, see, committed to following Christ and being a part of the family and the kingdom of God. So if you need the salvation, man, do not wait. Do not hesitate. Receive Christ today. For those of you who know Christ, you need the gospel to be the A to Z. You need the gospel to, to transform your life today, next week, next month, next year, and to depend on this grace that has been given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we're about to move into a time of response as we've respond, we're responding to all that we've heard and been exposed to today and singing and praying and and listening to, to the word. And I just want to encourage you, we're about to take the Lord's Supper, communion. 
And we're gonna, why do we do that? Why do we practice that regularly at Redemption Hill? It's because we want to, to reflect on the death of Christ. You're gonna come up and you're gonna hear ushers say, man, the body of Christ broken for you. You're gonna dip the bread in the cup and, and you're gonna hear them say, the blood of Christ shed for you. There's nothing greater than the gospel. There's nothing greater than the grace of God for all of life in the gospel. I pray you know it. If you do not, receive it today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the richness of your word. Thank you that Christ did what we can never do. And he shouted three famous words from the cross as he suffered and died. He said, it is finished. Thank you for the finished work of Christ on our behalf. And Father, we pray that you would help us to receive it. Some of us maybe for the first time and others of us for the 10,000th time. For we are in constant need of your love and your grace to us. We give you praise for it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.